So in the waning days of August, we had Gina Raimundo. Raimundo. She's a Commerce Secretary of the United States. She was in China for a couple of days meeting with top Chinese officials around trade, top commerce and trade officials in China around trade and economic development, etc. And the tone of this visit was quite enthusiastic. It was quite enthusiastic. And this is another high-level visit from the United States. Uh, it started with Antony Blinken. Then you had Janet Yellen, John Kerry, and now you have Raimundo. So you have many U.S. officials going to China and essentially coming with their hands out, saying, we need help with our economy. We can't afford decoupling. But at the same time, talking escalation and aggression. And not only this, but I'm going to show you in, in, in a variety of instances just how the United States has not only faked diplomacy, and I'm talking about the United States is faking diplomacy here. The United States is engaging in diplomacy with China while it escalates with China militarily and economically. So at the same time that Raimundo is there and you have all this positive enthusiasm, and, and indeed there was progress made during this particular meeting, uh, what surrounds it, and this is per usual for the United States, what surrounds it is a climate of escalation, aggression, and war. So I want to now just uh, review how China viewed this visit. And we're going to listen to, a f we're going to uh, go over a few reports first. And then I'm going to talk about these escalations that are happening even as the, these talks are occurring, even as high-level U.S. officials are meeting. So here the Global Times had this report coming from the meeting. China is willing to promote more trade dollars with the U.S., but Washington is urged to meet Beijing halfway. So Chinese Premier Li Xiang expressed China's willingness to have more dialogues over trade issues when he met with U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo in Beijing on Tuesday, the second day of the U.S. Trade Chief's China visit. Meanwhile, Li called for more concrete efforts from the U.S. side to push forward sound development of relations between China and the U.S., the two world's largest economies. Li said that mutual respect, peaceful coexistence, and win-win cooperation are the correct ways for the U.S. and China to get along. Li noted that the essence of U.S. and China economic trade relations is mutual benefit and win-win results. It is hoped that the U.S. will meet China halfway. So Raimundo's high-level meeting comes. Uh, the high-level meeting comes after Raimundo's several candidate constructive talks with top Chinese officials, said Vice Premier Ha Lengfang, Ha Lifang, Chinese Commerce Minister Wang Wentao, and Chinese Commerce Minister Wang Wentao. During Raimundo's talks with Ha, the two agreed to maintain communication and support practical cooperation between enterprises of the two countries. After a four-and-a-half-hour talk with Commerce Secretary Wong and Raimundo, the two sides announced plans to establish a new trade communication channel, including a working group consisting of Chinese and U.S. officials and business representatives to seek solutions on specific trade issues. So there you have it. You have candid talks, right? Meet us halfway. A lot of enthusiasm. Let's get this going. Let's increase the positivity. Let's make things happen. And I'm just going to play you one more brief report 
on this before I get into how fraudulent U.S. diplomacy really is because the U.S. doesn't really do diplomacy. And I think anyone who's been following this channel understands why that is. So here's what CGTN had to say. Uh, they had a video on rebuilding trust, uh, key numbers about this visit. So he, it has some good context. So let's, let's listen in. Hey guys, welcome to Reality Check. I'm Huang Jiyuan. We're talking about the U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo today, and let's do it differently. As a courtesy to her title, let's look at three sets of numbers. We start with four and three. Gina Raimondo is the fourth high-level U.S. official to visit China in three months. Fourth in three months. The visit did produce some results. The two countries set up a working group that will hold deputy ministerial level meetings twice a year to seek solutions to specific business issues. They've also initiated an export control information exchange mechanism to explain each country's export control system and improve communication. Raimondo said in an interview that these aren't the nebulous commitments to continue to talk. She emphasized that this is an official channel. Speaking of official channel, let's talk about the second set of numbers, one and seven. Raimondo is the first commerce secretary to visit China in seven years. Since the previous administration, trade between the two countries has been increasingly distorted by the so-called national security concerns. Before her trip, one New York Times headline stated that Raimondo heads to China to both promote trade and restrict it. So that, there you go. I mean, you have these visits happening. China shows enthusiasm with them, say, hey, this is a good idea. Let's keep the good times rolling. Let's make progress. And here you have the New York Times saying you're actually going there to restrict it and promote trade. This is the absolute pretzel that the United States is twisted in when it comes to China. And it gets worse than this. And, and I'll show you why later. Building on the previous administration's policies, the Biden administration has specifically zeroed in on restricting technology, transfers, exports, and investments to China, not just from the U.S., but from American allies. According to reports, the United States has put more than 1,300 Chinese companies under various sanctions. U.S. tech companies like Intel and NVIDIA have suffered from U.S. restrictions. NVIDIA's CFO warned that further restrictions could result in the permanent loss of an opportunity. For so you heard it, opportunities for the U.S. industry to compete and lead in one of the world's largest markets. But the point here is 1,300 trade restrictions and sanctions on China's high-tech industry. That's the big point here. That is what China wants Raimondo to address. That's what they wanted Janiella to address, although... It fell a little bit outside of her scope, you could say, if you wanted to give her that excuse. But nonetheless, this is what China wants changed. It hasn't changed. For the U.S. industry to compete and lead in one of the world's largest markets. One of the things that we have to realize is that China is a leader in, in a lot of the uh, high-tech leading-edge uh, technologies like uh, you know, facial recognition and artificial intelligence and, and quantum computing already. And so I think one, one of the things that the United States is trying to do is really play a game of catch-up and trying to redirect a lot of our investment into our own uh, uh, work in the same area. What's really worrisome to me is that they're emblematic of the state of affairs and state of relationship, and they're basically saying, you know, America is not trusting. We're very nervous and concerned about um, depending on China as a partner. 
And to me, this is the most worrisome part of it because that needs to be fixed. As Rimondo said herself, China and the United States have a more than $700 billion trade relationship and that she wants to preserve it. So let's talk about the final number, the $700 billion. It represents a tight economic relationship. Besides Mexico and Canada, the two U.S. neighbors, China is its largest trading partner. And if we take organizations like ASEAN and the EU out of the equation, China trades the most with the United States. That $700 billion binds the economic interests of the world's largest economies, or more than 40% of the global GDP, together. So we don't need to listen to any more of this because that's very self-explanatory. Now we need to get into, because now you have this situation, right? You have a situation of um, the fact that China and the United States, China is being targeted by sanctions. China is sanctioned heavily by the United States. The United States is playing a chicken, a game of chicken with its diplomacy and attempting, and, and we need to, we, we probably, we, we do need to talk about the reasons for why it's having these talks, but nonetheless, these talks are occurring. And at the same time, nothing is really being given. Uh, China, of course, is going to be enthusiastic about any progress made, but nonetheless, communication, further communication, that should just be a given. The problem here is that the United States is not showing any willingness to reduce these sanctions. And there's a reason why for this, because China, the United States wants to restrict, wants to contain, wants to weaken China in these areas. It's foolhardy and it's not going to work. But in the overall scheme of this escalation with China, it falls within the realm of these talks. But the problem is the United States is not just waging economic war on China. The United States is waging hybrid war. It's waging proxy war. It's waging a full-scale total war on China. The war has not reached the point of confrontation militarily, direct confrontation, full-scale invasion, full-scale military conflict. That has not happened. However, it is a total war in the sense that in every aspect of warfare, there is an outright attack on China. And so even as this diplomacy is occurring, this diplomacy, I call it, you have many instances of aggression. And I'm going to show you how the United States sabotages it from the very beginning. They sabotage this diplomacy from the very beginning because they don't, they don't mean it. The United States and Neo-Hazanam, they don't mean it. In my opinion, this diplomacy is all about getting it out of the way. So when the 2024 election comes, the only thing that needs to be focused on is the so-called China threat and how to escalate with China. That they're getting it out of the way because this is what is needed. The United States cannot sever that big $700 billion trade volume worth of trade relations with China, economic relations with China, you can't sever that. But in order to focus on the political, the military, and also just the geostrategic and geopolitical aspects of its conflict with China for the election, it needs to, the United States it needs to get out this diplomacy, get it out of the way. That's my estimation for why it is happening. Now I'm going to go over several escalations from what's coming to what has ha already happened 
and of course to what is happening. So the first example here is friend of the show, Scott Ritter, his two-minute topic report. I'm going to play you what he had to say about China, and this is China's uh, a real warning that China has sent to the United States in many respects, which is uh, stop these military games, stop these war games. We're going to defend ourselves whenever you wage any kind of war games, war preparations in the South China Sea, in the Asia Pacific, Taiwan, etc. But the warning is also that this economic war is just not going to work. So Scott Ritter is going to talk to us about uh, what happened earlier in August, a trilateral summit between Japan, South Korea, and the United States. And these three countries together really make up the core. You could count Australia, and you could also count uh, several other countries that the United States has tried to court in an anti-China alliance. But these countries really do make up the core of this Cold War that the United States is trying to wage on China. So here's what Scott had to say so we can get some context for this summit. Last week, U.S. President Joe Biden met with his South Korean and Japanese counterparts in a summit that was held in Camp David. There, they discussed the threats posed to them collectively from China and North Korea. In terms of China, they spoke of the South China Sea. They spoke of Taiwan. In terms of North Korea, they spoke of the nuclear threat. Did they come up with a solution to this? And the answer appears to be no. Words, words, and more words. Meetings, annual meetings, training exercises that already were happening, but now a new emphasis is going to be placed on. But nothing new. And what's been the result? China, for what is responded by carrying out their own training exercises, uh, but these are of a scope and a scale that drive home the point that China isn't going to lose any future conflict between it and the United States, whether that is in the South China Sea, Taiwan. Interestingly enough, a U.S. Lieutenant General, uh, Hainote, who is responsible for wargaming conflict with China, has come to the same conclusion. He has briefed the White House that uh, they need to tone back their uh, rhetoric about China because any rhetoric that leads us down a path towards conflict is preordained to end in a U.S. military defeat. But th- so, I mean, that's the I mean, that's the most important context here. But the fact that the summit happened, it happened in the third week of August between Japan, South Korea and the United States at Camp David in the United States. It was a show of force. It was meant to send China a message. But here you have the instance, right, of the United States pushing forward militarily against China, claiming this isn't about China. It's actually about the DPRK, but actually it's about China a bit. But really it's about North Korea, regardless of what they say it's about. Any activity between the United States and South Korea and Japan militarily is targeting China because the United States has shown through the Quad, through AUKUS, through all of these attempts to build this kind of Asian NATO, that in fact, all of its military ventures in the Asia Pacific are geared toward China and to escalate with China, not least the Taiwan Straits, which we're going to get to in a minute. But this is, of course, another instance. We'll let Scott finish here. But this this is an instance where, as these diplomatic talks are supposedly going on, the United States is escalating elsewhere, arguably in more deep and troubling ways than any what any talks with between commerce secretaries and trade officials could uh, 
you know, uh, could manifest whatever benefits, whatever progress they make, it's going to be canceled by things like this, by events like this, by policies like this. Let's continue. But did that hold Joe Biden back from creating at least the illusion that there's some sort of alliance capable of standing up against China? Didn't hold him back, but reality is far different from the perception that was being created and crafted in Camp David. The same thing from North Korea. You know, one only has to think back during the uh, administration of President uh, Donald Trump when we had an American leader meeting with a North Korean leader to talk about denuclearization. Yes, it, it didn't happen, but at least they were talking about it. And it was there, the, the process was there on the table for Joe Biden to continue should he want to. He opted not to. Today, Joe Biden and his Japanese and South Korean counterparts uh, talk about the need to bolster their relationship in the face of a North Korean nuclear threat that has expanded under his watch. North Korea today is capable of launching nuclear weapons that can destroy Japan, South Korea, and reach the United States. So, I mean, I would quibble with Scott there and say that after Trump had those talks with Kim Jong-un in 2018, the United States from the beginning with Pelosi and these types, they sabotaged it immediately. They, they basically made it null and void. They rendered it null and void. So I would quibble with Scott to say that Biden could continue this policy. Now, I think it was dead immediately. Dead. Like uh, <laughs> the United States wanted to, it, I, I believe it was Trump's kind of signature foreign policy legacy. He was trying to build one in relation to DPRK. I thought it was a smart move and I thought it was, I thought there was a lot of hope around it. But of course, and I, I thought also the Koreas, the Korea as a whole, the DPRK, South Korea, I believe it was their momentum that created the landscape for Donald Trump to be able to operate within. I don't believe it was just Trump saying, okay, I want to do this. I think the DPRK in South Korea, uh, um, the former president of South Korea, Moon, and Kim Jong-un, that they were able to make huge progress and the United States had to tag along. But the point, though, is not about South Korea or DPRK and the United States trying to corral Japan and South Korea together against the DPRK. It's about how all of this is also geared toward China and how even as someone like Raimondo goes to China to talk trade, the United States is already building up militarily and it gets worse. And we have to talk about Taiwan again. I, the, every time I stream, every time I make a video, it is another escalation regarding Taiwan. And there are a couple here worth noting. First, is that the United States has approved of a first ever military aid to Taiwan through a program typically reserved for sovereign nations. So why is this important? Well, because, the, because China has uh, something called the One China Principle. And this is actually uh, uh, recognized by international law. Um, this is actually signed off on by the United States in several joint communiques. And this One China Principle states that Taiwan is part of China, that even if there is a contested idea of which government should be the ruler of all of China, whether it should be the Republic of China located in Taiwan or whether it should be the People's Republic of China in uh, the mainland, the fact of the matter is that Taiwan is an inseparable part of China. That is the one China principle. And it is up to the governments on the Taiwan, on the Straits and mainland to work it out. 
And so the mainland holds that up. The People's Republic of China upholds that principle and says, this is an internal matter. This is a territorial issue. This is a sovereign issue. This is not about the United States or anyone else. And that Taiwan is part of China. Now, the United States has violated the One China Principle from the very beginning. It passed the Taiwan Relations Act. It has sent weapons to Taiwan. It threatened nuclear war over Taiwan and many different instances. And <clears throat> the United States was the one responsible for keeping the People's Republic of China outside of the UN for more than 20 years after 1949. So the United States, of course, has no respect for the One China Principle, even if it has signed off on many joint communiques saying it does. It has continuously uh, sent arms, tens of billions of dollars worth of arms. There's a backlog of over $20 billion alone worth of armaments to Taiwan. And now the latest, just a little $80 million, not a huge sum in retrospect to what, let's say, what goes to Ukraine. But this amount, this $80 million, is being sent through the State Department's Foreign Military Financing Program. The FMF will be used to strengthen Taiwan's self-defense capabilities through joint combined defense capability, enhanced maritime domain awareness and maritime security capability, the department wrote in its notification to Congress. That was reviewed by CNN. So the State Department spokesperson confirmed it was the first ever transfer. Consistent with the Taiwan Relations Act and our longstanding One China policy, which has not changed, as you can see, they're very defensive about this. It has not changed, but we are using a program that effectively says that Taiwan's a sovereign country, right? That's hypocrisy at its finest. The United States has an abiding interest in peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait, which is critical to regional global security and prosperity. The newest development and continued support for Taiwan has drawn angry response from China, which claims self-governing island as its own. China's foreign ministry responded, saying it's strongly dissatisfied and has firm opposition to the arms sales, which it said had harmed China's sovereignty and security interests and undermined peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. It urged the U.S. to cease enhancing Taiwan-U.S. military connections and arming Taiwan and stop creating tensions across the Taiwan Strait. That's what Wang Wenbin, the ministry spokesperson, said. China's defense ministry lashed out and said that China's military would take all necessary measures to counter this. So the United States has sold weapons to Taiwan in the past through a separate program called Foreign Military Sales. The FMF program will provide grant assistance paid by U.S. taxpayers to Taiwan in order to make those purchases. According to the letter sent to Congress, the sale could span a wide range of capabilities, including air and coastal defense, blah, blah, blah. blah. The capabilities don't matter. Now, Brian Berlenik, he... When he was going over these arms sales to Taiwan, he made a very good point that none of it has to do with capability. Capabilities are just something that the United States is never going to be able to build up in Taiwan to the point of being able to win any actual conflict. Sending these weapons, of course, help the military industrial complex have a steady stream of profits from these contracts and sales. But I think most importantly, it is to provoke China. It is provocative. It is meant to anger China. It is meant to worsen relations. And it is meant to escalate. That is, I think, the biggest point about this. And the reason why this is so dangerous now is that this program is specifically geared toward, uh, a sovereign, toward sovereign independent countries. It is not geared toward the territories of countries, not within them. It is geared toward governments. And so that is why China is very mad. That is why it, it is very angry about this. But of course, it's a drop in the bucket when you consider the amount of aid that the United States provides 
to Taiwan. Forget about Ukraine. Ukraine is on a different level right now because that conflict is at a different stage. But Taiwan, they're trying to turn into this porcupine that you hear security defense officials talk about. They're trying to turn it into another Ukraine. And they're doing so by violating China's sovereignty in the process, which makes it arguably even more serious should the conflict escalate even further. And it is escalating because as the United States is doing this, you have one of its biggest vassals, the United Kingdom. And the United Kingdom can, especially in foreign policy, can rarely be called its own country anymore. It is truly a Western junior partner, if not a junior puppet state of the United States, especially when foreign policy is the concern. But Parliament now in the UK has called a Taiwan an independent country as Cleverly visits China. So as you have Foreign Secretary James Cleverly, the, the top number one in command of uh, the UK's uh, so-called national security, as Cleverly is going through a diplomat, does this sound familiar? As he is on a diplomatic visit to China, you have UK's parliament calling Taiwan an independent country. It is called sabotage. It is called fake diplomacy. And the UK is doing it too. So the new language adopted in a report published on Wednesday by Influential Foreign Affairs Committee of the House of Commons risks staging a backlash from Beijing and comes as cleverly becomes the first top British envoy to visit Beijing in five years amid a more frosty relationship. So that's what's happening. Taiwan is already an independent country under the Republic of China. The committee report says Taiwan possesses all the qualifications for statehood, including a permanent population, a defined territory government, and capacity to enter relations with other states. It is only lacking greater recognition. This committee chairperson, Alicia Kearns, from the ruling Conservative Party, says it's the first time the UK Parliament is making such a declaration. We acknowledge China's position, but we do not accept it. It is imperative. This is Politico. It is imperative the Foreign Secretary steadfastly and vocally stand by Taiwan and make clear we will uphold Taiwan's right to self-determination. So there you have it. The UK is doing the same thing, but the UK is doing this on behalf of the United States. So the United States sends weapons to Taiwan under the auspices of a program paid for by US taxpayers, mind you, that basically indirectly calls Taiwan an independent country because it is for independent countries. It's for supposedly sovereign countries. Although you could argue that all countries the United States ends up arming are not sovereign at all. They're the proxies, they're vassals, they're junior partners, but they're not independent. The U.S. controls their foreign policy. It controls their so-called national security state. But this is, this is another, step, uh, uh, another step in the wrong direction. It is an escalation because it is doing so now in a territory that is not that that is not its own. It's doing so within China. And now you have the UK doing the same thing. So as you can see, no matter the Blinken, if it's Yellen, if it's John Kerry, if it's Raimondo, it doesn't matter. Every time this occurs, the so-called diplomacy, you have an escalation. Blinken, right after Blinken visited, what did Biden do? Biden said, Xi Jinping's a dictator. This was earlier in the spring. Then you had um, Janet Yellen come earlier in the summer, uh, you know, July. When Janet Yellen came, what happened? Travel warning, a travel warning to um, U.S. citizens saying, don't go there. I was there, but I, I was there after the travel warning came. I was already in China. Travel warning, don't go. You'll get arrested or whatever. You know, you're in trouble. Each and every time CIA William Burns goes, 
He goes to China. He meets with Chinese officials. And then within China, he says, we're going to reopen our spy program on China. This is what you call sabotaging diplomacy. It's not diplomacy at all. It is all about saving face amid escalation, amid increasing calls for war. That is all it is. Thank you for tuning in to my latest video. I appreciate all of your support. This channel, however, needs your help. I am seeking to make this channel more sustainable in the long term and upgrade necessary equipment to ensure that this work continues onward and makes progress to give you all of the geopolitical analysis that you all deserve. For that reason, I'm asking you to become a member of my Patreon community at patreon.com slash Danny Haifong. You can find that link in the video description or in the pinned comment below. For whatever amount you choose to give, just know you are supporting independent media that you can't find anywhere else. Thank you so much, and I look forward to the next video.